0: Hello and welcome back to the podcast. This week I'm going to be playing you a sermon I recently gave on Matthew chapter 5 verses 13 to 20. Now this is a passage that is part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. A passage that talks all about how disciples of Jesus are to live. I hope you find my Uh, Work on the passage useful. Uh, Do feel free to let me know if that is the case. You can drop me an email. Uh, The details are in the show notes or at the end of the podcast. Enjoy. There is one question that I know everybody, absolutely everybody asks. There is one question I know that everybody in this whole entire world considers every single day. There is one question I can guarantee applies to every single person in this room this morning. And that question is this How shall I live? How shall we live? You see, each and every day we make decisions, we make choices. How am I going to live my life? Uh, From the smallest of choices, uh, tea or coffee in the morning, I mean, that's a simple one, isn't it? Who'd have the tea? Uh, To the bigger ones, how should I react to what happened to me yesterday? We all are regularly asking ourselves, how shall I live? Now, if you're joining us at Christchurch this week, it's great to have you with us. We're looking at Jesus' sermon on the mount over these next few weeks. And in this sermon, Jesus is laying out for us the best way to live, uh, the best path of life, the way to be your most human, the way to be truly human. And this morning, he's going to begin to answer the question of, how should we live? See, our passage this morning, it's still an introduction. It is still an introduction to many of the things Jesus is going to go on to say. It might be, as we look at the passage this morning, you want to hear more. And like a good introduction, that's the point. See, a follower of Jesus is someone who wants to know more. A follower of Jesus is someone who wants to continue finding out more. And let me tell you, Matthew's Gospel doesn't disappoint. If you're here this morning and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, or as Matthew would put it, you wouldn't call yourself a disciple, a follower of Jesus... It is great to have you with us. Have a look at what Jesus says here to his followers. See how fantastic it is. How engaging it is. And take what Jesus says here as an invitation to come closer. To hear more. And if you are here this morning and you are on the road of following, then hear these words and see what we are called to be. See how we should live as we follow Jesus. Because Jesus is speaking to his disciples here. Uh, Go all the way back up to verse 1, chapter 5, verse 1. You can see it there. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Jesus is teaching those who have changed their minds and followed him. Those who realise that God's kingdom is near and that they live in the shadow of death. They are the people who've seen the light, they have seen Jesus, walking in their midst, and they're now following him. And when we put it that way, we should realise that these words are addressed to all disciples throughout time. They're addressed to disciples today as well. You. You, if you're following Jesus today, are being spoken to through these words. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You, yes, you. So let's listen up this morning, shall we? Notice that Jesus is saying that, here, that you are. He's not saying you will be. He's saying right now you are. This is something that is true of Jesus' followers right now. So how shall I live? What Jesus answered to us this morning is this. Live as salty lights, following Jesus' instruction. Live as salty lights, following Jesus' instruction. We're going to break that into two parts this morning, as we explore what that actually means. So firstly, live as salty lights. That's verses 3 to 16. Let me read those for us. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness... I mean, as you see those words, as you hear these words, you might be thinking to yourself, you what? What do salt and light have to do with how I live my life? We might not get it at first hearing, but we have to admit it. It does sound good, doesn't it? I mean, to be the salt of the earth, to be called the light of the world. But what does it mean? You see, in some ways, that is the point. When someone uses a phrase that's totally out there, it divides people into two halves. Uh, You either put the effort in to listen, or you give up and you walk away. It's too hard, I'm not going to bother. Jesus' teaching throughout Matthew does that. It's going to take some careful teasing out, some mental energy to listen, to think about what's being said. As I said, it's an invitation to come closer, to find out more. So do you want to come closer? Do you want to know more? Well, let's take the first phrase, shall we? Verse 13. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. There you go, salt. I mean, this is the salt from my kitchen. Uh, It does a lot of things, doesn't it? Uh, It makes things taste better. Uh, It makes things a little bit more shiny when you put them under a light. Uh, It makes me look like a grown-up because I own a salt dispenser that you have to turn upside down to use. Great. But what does Jesus mean here? I mean, this is a difficult phrase to interpret. What does Jesus say when he says, what does he mean when he says, you are the salt of the earth? I mean, there's been many suggestions over the years. Perhaps he means you are the preservative of the earth. Uh, Perhaps he means your life should be tasty, like McDonald's fries. Uh, You don't want the tasteless ones, do you? You want the ones that have had the salt put on them. You want them covered in salt. Now, there is some truth to those things. But as always, the best way forward is to see how Matthew wants us to see this, to see how this connects to Matthew's Gospel. And as we're going to see, this picks up where we were last week. Last Sunday, Sam took us through verses 1 to 12 of Matthew chapter 5. They're Jesus' blessings, or if you want to use the fancy Latin term, his Beatitudes. And those verses, they were explaining to us what the Kingdom of Heaven is like, what those who belong to the Kingdom of Heaven are like. What the blessed life looks like. The best possible path of life. See, they describe the identity of a disciple and the function of a disciple. What a disciple looks like and what a disciple does. And the first four, the first four talk about relationship with God. Do you see that? It's as you're poor in spirit that you come to God for help. It's as you mourn over this dark world That you come to God to fix it. It's as you're meek, hungering and thirsting for righteousness. That you come to God for the solution. That that is the blessed life, Jesus says. To be in relationship with God. And that is what salt refers to here. You might have heard of a covenant before in the Bible. A covenant basically ties people together together into a close relationship. I mean, marriage. Marriage is a good example of that. In a covenant, people are bound together by promises. I'm saying that because that's what Jesus is almost certainly referring to in this passage. He's referring to the salt of the covenant here. What's that? Well, that phrase is used throughout the Bible to refer to promises that are going to last forever. For example, uh, the covenant with David, King David, is called a covenant of salt, meaning it's going to last forever. The promises are going to happen. Feel free to come and ask me uh, more if you like at the end. You know I can talk about this for a long time. But what Jesus is saying is this. In all of the world, you, you are the people that God is bringing together through his everlasting promises. You are the proof that God's promises are coming true. You are a covenant of salt. You are the salt of the earth. So live it out. We know we're on the right track because that's how Jesus goes on to speak throughout the rest of this sermon. And we're going to see in quite vivid detail what a relationship with God looks like. Spoilers. It's going to look like not impressing others but impressing God alone. It's going to look like praying for God's will to be done rather than our own. But let's leave that for a few weeks for when we get there, shall we? But it does mean something remarkable. Something that I think we can probably skim over quite quickly. It means that Jesus can say that God is our Father. That's what he says in verse 16, isn't it? That should blow our minds when we hear it I mean that language it hasn't been used before but we can be easily desensitised to that can't we but it's huge God is your father because we have a relationship with God because we are the salt of the earth we can call God our father that's amazing isn't it it also makes sense to the rest of verse 13 Uh, if you were to lose that identity the identity of God's covenant people well then you're no longer good for anything Jesus says we'd be like salt that has lost its saltiness. I mean, that's a contradiction, isn't it? That's absurd. Saltless salt? It might help you to know that in Jesus' day, you got salt by scraping it from a salt pan. Uh, As you did that, you'd get a mixture of the chemical salt, along with other impurities as well. In other words, you could have something that is labelled salt, but actually, because it's it's old, it's, it's damp, all the real salt has gone. You're just left with the impurities. It says salt, but it's totally useless. It's good for nothing. It's fit only to be thrown away. I reckon we don't have that problem anymore, but I reckon we do have this one. When was the last time you checked the pots at the back of your kitchen cupboard? There we go. See, I must confess, this is not something I do regularly, but you know the time, don't you? When you need that one, that one ingredient. Uh, You know that moment when you're following the recipe carefully and the final touch, the thing that's going to give this meal all of its flavour, where's it gone? Uh, You search the cupboard, you pull everything else out, you decry the day that the supermarket changed their marketing to make all the labels different, so you still can't read them, but then you spot it. Right at the back, that pot of spice, you open it, you smell it and... Hmm, Nothing. Expired, 22nd of January, 2012. Have you experienced that before? It's heartbreaking, isn't it? Oh well, you chuck the pot in the bin, you carry on, you have a tasteless dinner. Just like that, saltless salt is useless. It's for throwing out. Someone in relationship with God, who doesn't know God, is useless too. It is a contradiction. It is absurd. To lose that identity, it makes everything else useless. It's the relationship that matters. It is the relationship that makes all the difference. So Jesus is saying, if you're a disciple, if you're following Jesus, then you are the salt of the earth. You have a relationship with God your Father right now. So don't lose it. Don't lose your saltiness. Don't fall out of relationship with God. Foster it. Maintain it. Jesus is going to have lots to say about that in future weeks. You are the salt of the earth. So live it. And when you feel, as you may be right now, that things are slipping, if you feel that the expiration date has come, things have started to go off, then do something about it fall right back into that safety net of Jesus' blessings back at the start of the chapter head back on up to verse 3 in humility and come back to God let's look at the second statement shall we that Jesus makes, this one's a bit simpler don't worry you are the light of the world there you go light bulb, again they're nice words aren't they I mean, light bulbs are nice to look at, aren't they? I mean, light is nice. What do these words mean? Well, in Matthew's Gospel, we've already seen light. Do you remember? Light has dawned. Jesus is the light that has come into the world. Yet there's a change here. Did you see it? He says here, you are the light of the world. That is where our second reading came in, Isaiah chapter 2. You see there, Isaiah is talking about God's temple, God's city being on the highest mountain above the hills. All the nations are going to come and stream to it, and they will walk in the light of the Lord. The town built on a hill is building on that picture in Isaiah. And that light that has come is the Lord Jesus. But now that light is to go out into the world through his disciples. We saw a few weeks ago, Jesus' light causing many to gather round him like moths to a lamp. And that's what Jesus is saying will be the task of his disciples. Uh, They will be fishers of men. They will make disciples of all nations. They will be light to the world. Remember, Jesus has been described as the light. And as people come into line with Jesus, they join in with that task. Just imagine for a moment... Weird hobbies you may have. Just imagine you went through your whole house turning on all the lights. You wouldn't do that now, would you, with the energy crisis? But imagine you did, and then you went and you painted over them with the darkest paint you could get your hands on. It'd be pointless, wouldn't it? It'd be a really silly thing to do. Don't do it this afternoon. The purpose of light, well, it's to light, isn't it? It's it's not to be hidden away. And the purpose of Jesus' disciples is to shine that light into the world around them. Remember, Matthew's already said the world is dark, but light has dawned. And now Jesus' followers are meant to take that light out into the world. You are the light of the world, so show it. What does that mean, though? Well, again, it picks up where we were last week. Being a light to the world means showing God's character to others, those other four blessings from last Sunday. It means being merciful as God our Father is merciful. It means being pure in heart, having our actions match our thinking. It means being peacemakers because that is the action of a child of God. Being persecuted because of righteousness. That is being aligned to God's way. Taking whatever comes because of it. It means being like Jesus. That's what it means to be The light of the world. Aligning with Jesus' mission. Coming into line with what Jesus is doing. Being part of God's big thing. What God is doing in the world through Jesus. So put together, being salt and light are saying one big thing. They're saying that Jesus' disciples, those who follow Jesus, are the ones who are going to proclaim the good news of Jesus. The good news, that promises have been kept. They're going to be shining a light into the world. They're going to be drawing people to the kingdom of heaven. They're going to proclaim and promote the kingdom to others. And that is our call too. What a remarkable call we have, eh? And Jesus is explicit for what that means for us, isn't he? Have a look at verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds... And glorify your Father in heaven. See, the way that we live matters. Jesus clearly answers that question for us How shall I live? It makes a difference. Just like a light bulb, it doesn't take very much to see whether a light bulb's working, does it? A light bulb does what it does when it's connected to the mains. See, just like a light bulb does what it should when it's connected to the mains. Without the mains, it doesn't function properly, does it? I mean, it's really obvious when a light bulb doesn't work. All it takes is a flick of a switch to see it works. That's all you need. If we're really following Jesus, it's really going to show. It'll mean that we're, we're not full of anger, but we're seeking reconciliation. It'll mean that we're being consistent, we're being honest. Again, we're going to see examples of all that over the next few weeks. But the headline is this. It will be obvious. It will be obvious to others that we follow Jesus. You are the light of the world, so show it. I reckon this is probably the hardest hitting part of Jesus' words here. I reckon we all know places where we don't shine that light as much as we should. Yet remember... Those who follow Jesus are connected to him. And that means that we can go back to him, back to Jesus. We can admit our failure and we can find comfort. Remember, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. These words this morning of Jesus, they're meant to challenge us. They're meant to humble us. They're meant to drive us to the Lord Jesus. And with his help, we get up. We carry on. So we're called to be salty lights. And as we do that, we show the world what God is like. But how is that going to succeed? If we know our Bible story, we know Israel in the past were meant to do this. They were meant to have a relationship with God and to demonstrate that by living for Him. But it doesn't work out. It didn't work out. They were called to do these things here, but it simply didn't happen. How can Jesus be sure it's going to work this time around? Well that's where our second and our final point this morning comes in. Verses 17 to 20. Live lives following Jesus' teaching. Live lives following Jesus' teaching. Now loads could be said here. But the big thing in this section. The big thing is. Jesus says listen to him. If you listen to Jesus. You're on the right path of life. It might appear that Jesus is going to do something totally radical here. Uh, That plan with Israel, it went so poorly, God's changed his mind, he's gone for plan B. But Jesus is explicit here. Have a look at verses 17 and 18. Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfil them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen by any means, will disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. I mean, it's clear, isn't it? Do you see it? Jesus hasn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. Now, when Jesus says the law and the prophets, he's talking about the Old Testament. uh, Saying the law and the prophets is a quick hand for summarising the whole first part of our Bibles. And Jesus is saying this. He's saying, I've not come to throw that away. But instead, I've come to fulfil it. As we've worked our way through Matthew's Gospel so far, we've seen this word, fulfil, come up a few times. And each time Jesus has said it, he's been making a point. He's saying that he is bringing about the goal of what was said before. You can think of it like this. I have here a pot of salt and a light bulb. They're nice to look at, aren't they? But they're not doing what they were designed to do. Take my salt pot. Uh, The salt pot is waiting. It is waiting for about two hours time when I'm going to reach for it and put it on my Sunday roast. You could say my salt pot has unrealised potential. There is something it is ready to be used for. Something it's been made to do. But it isn't doing it yet. Or take my light bulb. It takes a great job of being an illustration of light for a sermon. But that is not its goal, is it? It currently stands unfulfilled. It is only as I plug it into a light socket and turn that light on that it fulfills its task. I mean, the manufacturers have promised it can do a lot. The power of an old 60-watt bulb, apparently. But in my hands, it's not keeping its promise, is it? Just like that... Jesus says, I have come to fulfill the law and the prophets. See, the law, it had potential. As Moses instructed God's people, there was potential for something amazing. Potential for God to be with his people and the whole world to be brought to know the one true God. Yet that potential never happened, did it? It was never realised, never fulfilled. Likewise, the prophets, they spoke of the day when God's temple would be established and all the nations would stream to it. People would come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord. Let him teach us his ways. We saw that in Isaiah chapter 2. But that hadn't happened yet either. There were promises that still needed to be kept. Promises that needed to be fulfilled. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying the time has now come. These things are now now going to happen but how well verses 19 to 20 the answer jesus says they're going to happen as disciples follow his teaching as they pay attention to his teaching as they do what he says verses 19 and 20 therefore anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. I mean, those verses might appear scary. They might seem like there's an impossible bar that has to be met. Let me just point out two things. They're going to change your mind on that. Firstly, Jesus is saying these commands matter. It's important we know what those commands are. These are the commands that Jesus is going to fulfil and teach. That's the context, that's where we've just been. And that means something, doesn't it? It means that those commands are the ones that rely on Jesus. Relying on who Jesus is and what Jesus has come to do. It means those commands involve trusting Jesus. Those commands, just like my light bulb down there, are brought about when they're plugged into the mains. These commands are brought about as we're connected to Jesus. First thing. Second thing. Verse 20. Your righteousness must surpass that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. When Matthew uses the word righteousness, he's meaning being aligned with God's will. Uh, We saw that with Joseph at Christmas, Matthew chapter 1. We saw that with Jesus, Matthew chapter 3. We saw it last week. Verse 10. Those who follow Jesus are righteous. If you follow Jesus, then your righteousness is already going to surpass that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law automatically. In fact, if not, something's gone horribly wrong. Think about it. If righteousness comes from being aligned with God's will, and if God's will, we've seen in Matthew, is for Jesus to save his people from their sins then being on board with that, trusting Jesus alone to save you from your sins, puts your righteousness above the Pharisees straight away. You see, the Pharisees are like my little girls. Don't take that too far. My little girls love to dress up. They love to pretend to be Disney princesses. Well, the Pharisees, they like to pretend too. They like to pretend they're righteous. In Matthew 23, Jesus says this, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So be careful to do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. You see, the Pharisees, they they play act. They dress up. They pretend. They don't practice what they preach. In fact, the Pharisees, they do not like Jesus. And the Pharisees, they say openly, We do not need Jesus. They are not aligning with God's will. In fact, they're doing the complete opposite, aren't they? They are rejecting God's will. They're rejecting Jesus. So to have righteousness that surpasses the Pharisees, it's not really that hard at all. If you're following Jesus, then you meet that standard already. I hope that's helped us to see what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, listen to him. Put his words into practice. Trust what he said and do it. And that includes realising that when we fail, he's got that covered. As we're humbled, if we're following his commands, we come back to him, don't we? Again and again and again. To put it simply, it means following Jesus. see in these eight verses Jesus has laid out for us in broad strokes how a disciple should live he answers the question that everyone in the world is asking how shall I live and he answers it in a way that challenges and humbles us over the next few weeks we're going to see some real worked out detail on these points we're going to see what on the ground it looks like to be salt and to be light but as we finish I want to invite us Invite all of us here to really grapple with these words here. You see, over these next few weeks, we're going to have to wrestle, wrestle with what Jesus is saying. And so it is so, so important that we see here, right here, that in Jesus, everything you need to live the way God wants you to live is found in Jesus. In Jesus, there is everything you need to be blessed. In everything, Uh, In Jesus, there's everything you need to be on the best path of life. So why would you want to look elsewhere? As we think these things over, they're meant to challenge us. They're meant to make us go deeper. They're meant to make us reassess our choices in life. And they're meant to humble us. We have all of this only because of Jesus. If you're thinking this morning that you don't live up to Jesus' words here, Great. That is a good thing to be feeling. In fact, none of us live up to this perfectly. But if we're doing as Jesus says here, then we'll hear what Jesus says and we will come to him. Because blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Hear what Jesus says of his disciples. If that's you this morning, hear what Jesus says about you you are the salt of the earth you are the light of the world so let's pray that we would live that out in our lives shall we let's pray heavenly father we thank you for jesus teaching here Father, we admit that uh, at first glance we don't get what he's saying, but we want to hear more, we want to understand more. Father, we pray for your help in doing that. And Father, as we uh, are salt in this world, we pray that you'd help us to live that out. Father, help us as your people in relationship with you to foster that relationship, to maintain that relationship, to live our lives with you in charge. And Father, as the light of the world, help us to be uh, people that can be looked at, And that people can see the Lord Jesus through us. Father, we pray that as we go out into the world, we would show that your promises have come true and speak and act in light of that. Father, help us uh, where we fail to come back to the Lord Jesus, to come in humility to him and to trust him. And Father, would he send us out again to be his people in this world? Father, help us to grapple with this text more and more, we pray. And help us to live the best path of life that you have designed for us. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. Any feedback or questions can be sent to podcast at david-couch.com and I'll catch you again next time.